the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The last time we were together, Pastor Michael Oxentanko brought us the first portion of A Righteous Life right now here on Reaching Your Heart. Today, we'll complete that broadcast. Remember, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com, look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page, and download a copy of this message or listen right there in on-demand audio format. That's reachingyourheart.com. Stay with me for just a few seconds afterwards. I have some other important information to pass along to you. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. The righteousness that we need is God's righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day and good enough for every day of your life because God's with you. God's righteousness, friend, does not come from you to God. God's righteousness comes from God to you and it must be received on your knees. Romans 10, 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. He's speaking to the Jewish nation here. And seeking to establish their own. Forbid we should ever do that here. They, he writes, did not submit to God's righteousness. Now he means that to Christ, the gift of salvation, to the Son of God who gave himself for their sins, they wanted another way. We can't add to the gift of God. We can't do something more profound, more beautiful than what Jesus did on the cross. And friend, we can't win the victory with evil. Jesus did. But we can align with Christ. We can be with Christ. Christ in us can be lived out in our life for the glory of God. Paul makes an amazing statement, Romans 10.4, that has been misunderstood by many well-meaning Christians in recent years in the Christian centuries. Romans 10.4. For Christ, Paul writes, is the end of the law, that everyone who has faith may be justified. Of course, well-meaning pastors in various places will say, Aha, Christ did away with the law at the cross. He's the end of it. The Greek word here is telos. It means goal. The purpose of the law. The reason the law was given. He is the goal for the law. It comes to an end in that sense. That everyone who has faith may be justified. In the context, the text means that Christ is the end of the law as a method for righteousness. Not as an ethical standard. Not as the standard for the judgment day. But as a method for righteousness. In other words, the basis of our acceptance. Christ is the only way to be accepted. And then that we might be declared righteous by faith. That's what this verse is saying. Our right standing before God is based on God's grace and God's goodness and God's gift in Jesus. And we do not diminish the law when we understand it in the right way. That the law is to lead us to Christ. To show us our need of God's righteousness. So our standing before God is based on God's grace, God's goodness. I don't want any other kind of righteousness in my life, do you? You want a different kind of righteousness than that? You shouldn't. I don't want rags that look like righteousness but are really just rags. I want His righteousness to be my righteousness. The Apostle Paul gave up on this idea that he could be good enough for God to accept him. In Jesus, he surrendered the law as a method of righteousness 
so he could receive the righteousness that comes by faith so the law could be written on his heart in the new covenant experience. Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Do you want a righteousness of your own for the judgment day? Good, because if you do, you're going straight to the lake of fire. Friend, Paul says, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own. But then he tells us what kind of righteousness that is. Based on law. In other words, utilizing the law as a method of salvation instead of letting Christ as the one who atoned for it be the basis of our salvation. He says, so I don't want a righteousness of my own based on how good I keep the law. But, here's what I want, he says, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So let's repeat point number one again. Righteousness is first and foremost whose righteousness? God's righteousness. That leads us to point number two. Point number two, a righteous ethical life for someone who is a born sinner is really a process of repentance and growth. I mean, it's not the absence of letting God down. It's actually dealing with it in a way that shows you're in Christ. And so an ethical life that's righteous for a person with a sinful nature will be manifested as a life of continual repentance and growth and deepening into Christ without acting like that's not the case. Righteousness is not the absence of sin so much as it is the manner in which you deal with sin in your life. Because sin pops up. I know this in my experience. I know you probably know it too. So it's how you deal with it that determines whether or not you're righteous. A righteous person brings his or her sins to Jesus with all the mess, the pain, the resentments, honestly. Now, he doesn't bring it to everybody else in the church. He brings it to Jesus. You can confess your faults, the Bible says in James, but don't go confessing your sins to other believers. So he or she confesses it all to God and in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that man or woman receives God's grace. God's forgiveness, God's justification power. If you have been justified by faith when you receive Christ, you continue this way, you're under the umbrella of God's acceptance. That's how you wash your robe white in the blood of the Lamb, according to Revelation 7. Now, let's look at the other side of things. An unrighteous person denies the presence of sin in the life, and thus that man or woman refuses to apply the righteousness of Christ to the life. And this is a deadly danger for religious people. Because the people who are most inclined to do this are people who are religious. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, what does the text say? We deceive ourselves. I don't want to hear people walking around saying, well, you know, I have a perfect character and I've arrived and I'm going to be one of the 100,000 because of it. They don't have anything that's perfect. The minute you say something like that, you're self-deceived. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now notice the word we. Who's speaking here? It's John, the beloved disciple. He's speaking in solidarity with the Christian church of the apostolic age. If all of us say this, or any of us say this, we lie. We must always recognize that we have this sin component in our lives. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just 
and will. It doesn't say might, not a subjunctive sense here, but a clear future tense. He will forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, this is the power of God and the grace of God. The sin of perfectionism is a sin of pride, which was the first sin manifested in the life of Lucifer. Perfectionism tends to blame others for your own mistakes and false character. You know how you can tell you've been bitten by this thing? You do something wrong and you say, well, brother so-and-so let me down. Or our sister so-and-so didn't do this as they should. That's in our nature. Perfectionism bases acceptance on the law as a method for salvation instead of God's grace in Jesus as the gift of salvation. There's something beautiful about a Christian man or woman who can admit that they fall short of the glory of God when they make no excuses. That's a beautiful thing. There's something ugly about a professed Christian who never admits that they're wrong but always makes excuses or blames others for their sins. Point number three. A righteous ethical life in the New Testament is a life that is modeled after the perfect life of Jesus. And it is best and only motivated, in fact, by forgiveness and love. That's the basis of the new covenant ethical life in the gospel. Motives matter in God's assessment. It matters why we do things, not just what we do. God's love is a motivational force to change your life. That's why it's important we don't make other emphasis primary. His love is the primary focus of the gospel. Love is the fire in a warmed heart that makes it into a rocket stove that heats the whole house of God. God's grace is the gas that makes a Christian go. Forgiveness is the basis for giving to others the gift that God first gave to you. Simon the Pharisee, kind of archetypical figure in the New Testament, rebuked Jesus of all things. Rebuke Jesus for letting a woman who had sinned in a sexual kind of way wash his holy feet. If he had known what kind of woman she was, Simon thought, he would not let her wash his feet. Jesus knew and Jesus didn't care. What Jesus cared about was her. He cared about the woman more than he cared about the sins that she had committed. He didn't celebrate her past. He celebrated her love for God. And also Jesus cared about Simon who was worse off than her. See, even the Pharisee that was doing it, he cared about him. My favorite theologian indicates that it was Simon who led her into sin. Because his sin was worse than hers, Simon was beating her down with words, keeping her away from the grace of God. So Jesus turned to Simon. And because he loved Simon, the Pharisee, Jesus said to Simon, Luke 7, verse 40, Simon... I have something to say to you. And he answered, what is it? Teacher. For Simon, Jesus was a teacher. For the woman, Jesus was her savior. Simon wanted a new idea or some instruction on what he should do to be more righteous. The woman wanted grace, forgiveness, and the power to live a new life because Jesus loved her and because he is righteous. Verse 41, Jesus continued, a certain creditor, Simon, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Jesus' question got to the heart of the matter for a hard heart, the kind that Simon had. What motivates a man or woman to live a righteous life when they owe so much to God? Really, what does? Verse 43, Simon answered. So in the interaction, it's not Jesus who provides the answer. It's Simon. 
Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Here's the paradox. The person who's messed up the most will love him the most. That's a paradox. That's why the church should be open to the worst of sinners. The person who's made the biggest mess of their life, praise God, they're in church. Because if they cling to Christ, they grow in Christ. They're not surrender Christ. They will come to love Christ more than those of us who have never entered into the gully of the devil's realm as they have. And they will be a special ember pulled from the fire that will glow for God in eternity in the church. But that doesn't mean that we should mess up intentionally to grow closer to Christ. So don't go out and wreck your life so this can be true. But it does mean that a grateful heart is a forgiven heart. And when God forgives you of your sins, and you must realize you need forgiving to experience this, If that happens, that very act of forgiveness empowers you to be a grateful person to love others. Have you waned in your Christian service? Do you feel that you're not making a difference? Are you passive? Very likely, you don't sense the level of forgiveness that God has offered you in Jesus. Therefore, you don't work for Him. You're not motivated. It is the love of God that compels us and brings us to repentance and to live for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is manifested in the lives of men and women who have been forgiven and who know it and who appreciate it. Now, I'm going to speak to myself here. I can't go through the number of times where the Lord has forgiven me for really blowing it, where I've messed up so deeply and where people would just throw me away, but the Lord didn't throw me away. I mean, I'm grateful for God for this. It's a privilege to be able to open up the Word of God and to teach the truth and not some philosophy that isn't truth. But if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd have no right to do this. And I wouldn't even be here. And I'm speaking from my own experience. I want more of that. I want to know the love of God. I want to know Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not me, the hope of glory, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, why is he saying that? Because he didn't see her as a person. He saw her as an object. He saw her as someone who needed to be removed, but not a person with heart and feelings that needed to be saved. He said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he... Now, there's only one he in the exchange. It's Simon. He who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The scandal of forgiveness. They went after Christ to put him on a cross because he forgave people like this. May there be lots of scandals like that in our church. Because I'm okay with a scandal like that. I'm okay when a saint becomes a saint because they're forgiven. In Hebrews 12, the believers called into the presence of God and the strength of the new covenant. The heavenly sanctuary in Mount Zion is wide open for people who need God's help right now. And that's me, maybe you. Prayer ascends directly to God's throne where Jesus intercedes in behalf of the believer right now. And this connection with God, because you have experienced 
a forensic righteousness. He has declared you righteous by your faith submission to Jesus. This vital connection with God, unless you sever it by choice, and don't do that, this connection with God will remain until the end of time for every believer who has faith in Jesus Christ. Period. No one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Hebrews 12, 19, For our God is a consuming fire. Now that's context. In the Old Testament, God's love is fire. Song of Solomon 8, 6, Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as severe as Sheol, the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So love is a fire. Love is not some weak force. It's a burning fire. When the fire of God's love is in your heart, you will love others as God's ambassador of love. Real religion is the power of really loving others. Righteous living right now is the attitude of gratitude and the action of loving people right now, every day until Jesus comes, motivated by the Holy Spirit. The heart that learns to love will live in love and will live forever because heaven is an atmosphere of love. And when heaven is in your heart, you are fit for heaven now. The new covenant in the book of Hebrews takes the law of God that was written on stone and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the cross and the blood of Jesus, it writes it on your heart. And God's law is love. Hebrews 13.1. I want to end by just reading a passage or two from Scripture as we come to our focus. It says, let brotherly love continue. And then he puts meat on the bones of what this means. He describes the ethical life, the righteous life that is based on this kind of response. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Yes, it matters who comes to your house and what you do for them. It matters if you help the poor that you can reach out to sustain. Number three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you are also in the body. There are people who are suffering in prisons for the cause of Christ and they should have the cause of Christ reach out to them. And there are others who need Christ in prisons. We heard the story of how our radio broadcast reached into one prison and they were using the latrine system to create an echo. A radio was placed in a toilet so it could be heard throughout the entire prison system. The Word of God goes wherever it wants to go. And that gentleman came here and was baptized and we know who he is. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the immoral and the adulterous. I mean, coming to church and playing religious when you're cheating on your wife doesn't cut well with God. And Jesus will judge that. Christ loves you. He wants your relationships to be centered in Him. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never fail you nor forsake you. Now, He's not saying you can't make money. He's not saying you shouldn't be entrepreneurial. He's just saying, don't love money. Love me. Use your means to make a difference in the cause of God. Be more generous than you are successful, and I will make you more successful. But don't do it to get the money. Do it because you love me. Hence, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders. You know, think of our own experience here at Reaching Hearts. We went through a legal process that should have killed our church. Right? It's over. It's over. The Lord won it. And you know, we didn't have to be afraid of any of those people. The Lord got us through. And that great religious liberty victory was settled in U.S. history. And we're now in the permitting phase of our church. What can man do to us? Nothing. 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. You know, what we need to be copying in our midst here are faith entrepreneurs, people who in faith do bold things for God, not people who cower back, fearful of losing something in the mix. You know, you can't lose anything if you're in God's movement, moving forward in faith. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, the God who created the universe can make wealth appear out of nowhere and make substance appear out of nowhere for His will to be operative in our lives. Finally, one verse from Paul that speaks to the source of righteous life right now. Philippians 1.11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And here's how they come. Which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When you live for God's glory, you will no longer live to make yourself look good. God's righteousness is God's gift to you. And when you give glory to God as the source of all that is good in your life, you will worship God in spirit and truth by really loving others. The motive matters. You know, we're living on the verge of a computer revolution that can change the world forever. Computers don't love you. Is that true? Does your Apple Macintosh love you? No. Now, your IBM with the Windows operating system loves you even less. Stephen Hawking has written that success in creating artificial intelligence would be the biggest event in human history. And he continues, unfortunately, it might be the last. Nell Watson is an Amsterdam-based engineer who is a specialist in computer engineering with an eye for cyborgs, you know, machines that will operate on the human realm, intelligent robots. They're just on the horizon. The technology is coming. So what do you do with a machine that is smart enough to kill you and take over your place to be the Lord of the earth? What do you do when that's the level of technology? Perhaps the machine could reason that the kindest thing to do for humans is to end human life and thus end their misery. Perhaps that would be the logic of a computer cyborg. And so there's a need to teach robots the meaning of love, to teach them that human worth matters, to have some basis for restraint. Ms. Watson recently stated at a press conference, it is those values that will ensure machines don't end up killing us out of kindness. Friend, God sent Jesus into this world to teach us all the meaning of life and the worth of the human soul and the beauty of kindness. We are not kind by nature. We don't need robots to kill people. People kill people. Kindness is a gift that makes life beautiful. Love, kindness, gentleness. My favorite theologian had this to say about Jesus who came to live a life of kindness. Steps to Christ, page 12 and 13. Love, mercy, and compassion were revealed in every act of his life. His heart went out in tender sympathy to the children of men. He took man's nature that he might reach man once. The poorest and humblest were not afraid to approach him. Even little children, they were attracted to him. They loved to climb upon his knees and gaze into the pensive face, benignant with love. Jesus did not suppress one word of truth, but he uttered it always in love. He exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful, kind attention in his intercourse with the people. He was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. He did not censure human weakness. He spoke the truth, but always in love. He denounced hypocrisy, unbelief, and iniquity, but tears were in his voice as he uttered his scathing rebukes. He wept over Jerusalem, the city he loved, which refused to receive him, the way, the truth, and the life. They had rejected him, the Savior, but he regarded them with pity and tenderness. His life was one of self-denial and thoughtful care for others. 
Every soul was precious in his eyes. And while he ever bore himself with the divine dignity, he bowed with the tenderest regard to every member of the family of God. In all men he saw fallen souls whom it was his mission to save. Such is the character of Christ as revealed in his life. This is the character of God. It is from the Father's heart that the streams of divine compassion manifest in Christ flow out to the children of men. Jesus, the tender, pitying Savior, was God manifest in the flesh. Father, we don't want to come to the end of time and be found with rags that we produce on our own. Lord, we bow our hearts before you at this hour, confessing there's nothing good in us, but there was something in us that caused God to love us. And that was our need. The love of God, self-perpetuating, reached out to find us in Jesus. And Lord, may every person realize they're of infinite worth in this place. That there is no way in God's plan He wants to lose them. May their choice be aligned as such that they have faith in Jesus as a gift from God. And Lord, thank You for the righteousness that comes as we accept You now. And that it begins at the beginning of the journey. It's not at the end of the journey. Bless your people with your peace, your spirit, and your power to make a difference in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there you have it, the conclusion to a righteous life right now. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentanko. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. You can download a copy right there or listen in on-demand audio format. That's reachingyourheart.com. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.